0: This is America in Space, a weekly news and information program on current events dealing with the
1: space industry. Welcome, and thanks for joining me today. I'm Don Meyer, Space Coast News Editor. On September 24, 2023, I was glued to the television watching the OSIRIS-REx capsule containing a sample of the asteroid Bennu inside returned to Earth by touching down at the Department of Defense's Utah Test and Training Range. I was fascinated to watch that sample being returned from an asteroid, and now it's at its permanent home at the Johnson Space Center in Houston. This is the first U.S. asteroid sample returned to Earth. To previous Japanese Aerospace Exploration Agency or JAXA missions, the Hayabusa 1 and 2 returned samples in 2005 and 2016 respectively. The initial curation process for OSIRIS-REx sample of asteroid Bennu is moving a little slower than anticipated, but it's for the best of reasons. As they're saying, the sample runneth over. There's an abundance of material found when the science canister lid was removed earlier last month that has meant that the process of disseminating the TAGSAM or touch-and-go sample acquisition mechanism head, which holds the bulk of the material from the asteroid, is off to a methodical start. The mission has been seven years in the making, from the initial launch in 2016 to the sample collection in 2020 to the return on September 24, 2023, and it's been quite an ordeal. Here is Dr. Becky Smethurst, astrophysicist at the University of Oxford, to describe the OSIRIS-REx mission.
2: Let's start with a little quick recap on OSIRIS-REx. So, the mission was launched on the 8th of September 2016 on an Atlas V rocket from Cape Canaveral in Florida in the USA. And And it arrived at Bennu a few years later in December 2018. Now, Bennu is an asteroid that's around about 490 metres wide and it orbits the sun at a similar distance to Earth. It's in a class of near-Earth asteroids collectively called the Apollo Group, and it was actually only discovered in 1999. Now, after arriving at Bennu, OSIRIS-REx spent 500 days in orbit mapping the surface of the asteroid to decide which area to actually collect the sample of rock from, and then of course take a load of data on Bennu's size and its spin and its orbit around the Sun whilst it was there. Now, after deciding which site to try and collect the sample from, OSIRIS-REx touched down on Bennu on the 20th. Of October 2020. It then let out a little puff of nitrogen gas and held out its robotic arm to collect as much material as possible that was thrown up in the cloud. At that point, the team at NASA estimated that it had collected around about 57 grams of material from the surface of Bennu. It then spent a couple more months in orbit around Bennu before being deorbited in May 2021 and starting its journey back. Earth. The sample then touched down at 8.42 local time on Sunday the 24th of September 2023 in the Utah desert after a 7.1 billion kilometer round trip. It was then taken to a temporary clean room where it was unpacked and then repacked to be sent to NASA's Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas. Now the folks at NASA have been preparing for this moment for years with many dress rehearsals of the return, the transport and the unboxing of the sample for want of a better word. All of this footage that I'm showing you here is from the dress rehearsal earlier this year. And they did all these dress rehearsals because they wanted to get everything right, because keeping the sample sterile at these stages is of the utmost importance, you know. They store it in pure nitrogen for the transport from the desert where it crash-landed to Johnson Space Center in Texas. And of course, they also took samples of the soil and the air at the landing site, you know, collected just in case. It's then going to be stored in a sealed glove box, again, filled filled with nitrogen to keep it sterile. And the actual sample canisters themselves will not be opened until around about 10 days after the sample arrives at the Johnson Space Center. And that's just to give the team enough time to fully check those nitrogen glove boxes again to make sure that they are airtight and that sample remains completely sterile and free from any Earth contaminants. Now, if you're as excited as I am to see what these samples actually look like, that's gonna happen around about Wednesday, the 11th of October. That's when NASA have said that they will actually release the images they take once the samples have been opened to the public. Now once it's opened, more than half of the sample is actually going to be put into storage, into the archive for future generations to do any scientific experiments they want to do on the rocks returned from Bennu in the same way that moon rocks from the Apollo missions were put into the archive as well so that if any new scientific hypotheses arise and you need to test it with some asteroid sample from Bennu then you can do that because you've still got a sample in storage. Some will be given to ESA and JAXA to compare to the Hayabusa samples from the asteroids Ryugu and Itakawa in the same way that JAXA has already shared some of the Hayabusa return samples with
1: NASA as well and then the rest will start to get analysed straight They are referring to the extra sample material as bonus asteroid Bennu particles because they weren't expecting it. After the collection event on Bennu three years ago, scientists expected they would find some asteroid material in the canister outside the TAGSAM head. However, the actual amount coning the inside of the canister lid and the base that surrounds the TAGSAM is even more than they anticipated. Here's Dante Loretta, the principal investigator on the rex to explain how they received so much extra material.
0: Yeah, I mentioned earlier that Ben used the trickster asteroid, and that was one of the final tricks (laughs) when we went in to collect the sample. Scott talked about it earlier. We had these great uh, computer animations of what we thought was going to happen as we were going to hit a solid surface, basically, and grab the material right off the top. But when you look at this amazing footage, you can see that we really moved a lot of material there. Uh, I like to use the analogy of one of those ball pits at a kid's playground, right? We just sunk right into that asteroid surface with almost no resistance whatsoever. And we went in, you know, about um, a foot and a half, like the length of my arm, down into the subsurface of the asteroid, where we predicted we might go down an inch or so at the most. So it was very soft. And as we analyzed the data, we realized that's because the density was incredibly low. It's about one-sixth the uh, bulk density of your average rock on Earth and about one half the density of water ice, which is one of the lowest densities, uh, major solid materials that we know of in the solar system. So Ben, it really surprised us in a good way in this case, because we went so deep and we were uh, in contact with the asteroid for a lot longer than we expected. We got a lot more material than we had uh, designed the mission
1: to. Scott Sanford, the science lead for the sample return and Dante Loretta are describing a few of the plethora of tests that would be done on the sample and bonus sample at the Johnson Space Center.
0: So I know we have over 200 scientists uh, using about 60 different analytical techniques, you know, and the OSIRIS-REx science investigation really is astrophysics, astrochemistry, astrobiology, planetary formation, stellar evolution. Scott alluded to those interstellar grains which formed in nuclear synthetic environments in ancient stars. And probably things we haven't thought of before, right? Because they're available to the world, these materials. And there's people asking questions that this science team hasn't, hasn't addressed yet. So if it involves outer space, then you'll be able to work with the bedding samples to come up with some answers to your questions.
3: And part of the power of having the sample back is that, um, you know, uh, 20 years from now, if someone has a new technique, they can take the sample out and measure it. Um, all over again with a new technique. So these things will just keep giving, and so you know with this question of how many fields are involved. Well, maybe there'll be new fields in 10 years that we don't have a name for yet, and how they'll get I to find- measure it too. So, okay. <laughs> you know, Dante mentioned how many analytical techniques we're going to apply to these samples, and um, they're frankly quite amazing. I mean, there are people be basically counting atoms of, of different elements or even isotopes. Uh, tearing these rocks apart down at the atomic scale, and there'll be people worried about these rocks at the molecular scale, and there'll be people being worried about these rocks at the mineralogical scale um, uh, for minerals, and um, the petrologists will want to know which minerals are next to other minerals, because that tells you something about the environment and the constraints on what has happened. And um, and they're all amazing in their own right. I mean, they all provide information, which is um, really unique. That's why we're using them all. So I'd be hard-pressed to say one's better than any of the others. What will really be powerful is the use of all of them in combination. Because then you can see, you know, every, every technique will see some things that make sense and some things that puzzle them. And the things that puzzle them may be addressable by information that comes from another technique. And so sharing our data putting it all together is going to allow us to figure some things out that no individual technique would sort out.
0: I don't think we'll discover any new elements. But what we may find are new minerals, which are combinations of elements that occur under environmental conditions that may not uh, happen on the surface or the interior of the earth. So uh, the chemical elements are very well understood, but the minerals, you can always find new minerals because these are very different, you know, literally alien environments compared to what we have here on earth. And we do find a lot of unique minerals in meteorites that don't occur in terrestrial environments. And I wouldn't be surprised if we pull something out of Bennu that, that we haven't seen before in that regard, it's how the, mineral, or sorry, how the atoms are arranged in crystal structures to make a mineral
1: and the analysis will continue for decades to come. As Dante Loretta said.
0: Yeah, I'm really proud of the OSIRIS-REx legacy already. We've done a phenomenal job characterizing asteroid Bennu at a higher resolution than any other planetary body in the solar system. So that already is unprecedented. And of course, we brought that sample back down to Earth, and it's going to be here at NASA's Johnson Space Center for decades into the future. Sample return is the gift that just keeps on giving. We're going to have a great science analysis program over the next two years but there's gonna be people in the future that are gonna be smarter with better instruments and building on the knowledge that we've accumulated. So I expect for the rest of my life, I will be reading papers about the analysis of samples from Bennu and being surprised and learning new things by all the clever people in the future that are going to ask those great questions and get those amazing answers.
1: And I certainly do look forward to what they find as well. Thank you for joining me. Remember each Tuesday to join David Dinault for America's Return to Space And join me every Friday for America in Space. From the Florida Space Coast, I'm Dawn Meyer, Space Coast News Editor for About Space Today.
0: Thanks for listening. Be sure to share our program with your family and friends and follow us on Facebook. Join us each week for news and information on America
1: in Space.